Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Fenway Rundown. This is Mass Live's new Red Sox podcast, and I'm the host, Chris Cotillo. Today, I'm excited to be joined by, I think, our first uh, fellow Carolina alum on this show. It's also someone that you know from pitching from the Red Sox about a decade ago. Daniel Bard is our guest today, and as of a couple months ago, uh, it's Daniel Bard, right-hander for the Colorado Rockies. So welcome, and uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. So, you know, Daniel, you've, you're a guy that um, Red Sox fans obviously remember from you know, your days as a dominant reliever and then uh, kind of an ill-fated transition to starting and, and the way things ended. And you've bounced around and had a really interesting career path um, that I think a lot of people have followed from <clears> afar <throat> since you've left town. Um, I actually, a few years ago at my old job at SB Nation, was uh, had the pleasure of interviewing you and doing an in-depth piece for um, when you finally came to terms with retiring, I think that was after you were with the Mets and, and came to a point where you were ready to you know, hang it up once and for all. So in that piece, which, which ran in January 2018, here was this quote that I, I dug up. I'm looking back and give myself a page view retroactively at my old job. You said some, some days would be great and some days the results just weren't there. I ran into enough of those days where I said, is this really worth me being away from my family? Once that answer was no, it was a really easy decision for me to decide to come home. So that is January 2018. Here we are in May 2020, and you are back, and you are a member of the Colorado Rockies. So we'll get into specifics, but broadly, what changed for you? Uh, yeah, it's funny you hear that quote because it takes mm -hmm. me back to like, and not that long ago, about two years ago. Um, and I actually, I think, made the decision about six months before that. Right. Before we did the interview. Uh, it was like that August that I actually mm -hmm. retired. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I mean, to, to hear what I said, um, you know, there were good days and bad days. I, I wasn't lying. You know, there were days where I felt like, man, ball's coming out good. If I can keep doing this, I got a shot to get mm -hmm. back. And I, I look at what I, the way I feel now and what led me to um, quit my <laughs> coaching job that I had with the Diamondbacks and, and decide to give play, pitch another shot. Um, the way I feel now trumps anything I felt from 2012 to 17 uh, mm -hmm. to, till I retired. Um, I, it's hard to describe except that it just feels, <clears throat> you know, throwing and pitching feels natural. It feels fun body feels free and easy. Um, it's not to say there's not still challenges and, you know, have some good days and some not, not as good days, but at the same time, like the overall feeling is just like, this is what throwing a baseball is meant to feel like. It's the way I felt for my first, uh, three years in Boston. Um, it's the way I felt, you know, in college and, and coming up through the minor leagues for the most part. Um, so that's when I started feeling that again, and I kind of stumbled upon it. I wasn't like searching for it. I was, I had no intention of pitching again. Mm -hmm. Um, when I retired at 17, I, I truly was retiring. I was done. Um, when I stumbled back onto that feeling, I, I really couldn't, I couldn't deny it. Like I couldn't, uh, I got off a mound a couple of times. This was back in like January this year. And, uh, the way I threw the ball, it would have been impossible for me to just say well that was fun it's nice to feel good again i'm gonna go mm -hmm. back and do my other job because i would have been thinking about it nonstop, just like what if and so i made the decision that i was like screw it you know i 
played probably four years too long the first time and I've never <laughs> felt this good. So I, I, if, if I could, you know, have taken this feeling, given it to myself back then, you know, what would I have done with it? And no question, um, I had to give it a shot. And for you, obviously, the battle has been both physical and, as you acknowledge when we talked a couple of years ago, mental and um, the yips or blast syndrome, whatever you want to call it. So when you talk about feeling better, is that both mental and physical? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, the yips is no fun. And it's 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 a palpable feeling when you're going through it. Mm-hmm. I do think there's different kind of stages or different levels of it that people can can feel and and some guys can kind of hide it for a while and then it kind of goes away or they find a way through it. Um, other guys, you know, like myself, I was trying to hide it for a while and it kind of just kept snowballing, getting worse. Right. So, but you know, when it's there, that's the thing. Like you, you, you just, you know, the feeling, anyone who's ever felt it, you make a throw, you know, if you're a golfer, <laughs> you take a swing or you make a putt and you're like, you know, whether that feeling is there or not. And, um, I just know that I don't feel it now. Um, mm-hmm. I can give you, can't give you one reason why, but there's probably 50 that I can give you that yeah. cont- contributed to, um, getting to the point where I'm at now. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a wild ride for you. I think a big piece of this whole journey has been always trying to figure out exactly what caused that. You know, we never got the full answers because nobody really had those full answers. And I think more questions that or you asked, you know, just led to more and more questions. So, um, has, I guess, taken, taking that step away, taking a coaching role and, and trying to really focus on other guys. You were uh, a player mentor with the Arizona Diamondbacks under Mike Hazen, who you obviously knew from your time in Boston. Um, has Did doing that make you look at yourself kind of in a, in a subconscious way and, and change some things? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, so the job I was doing with the Diamondbacks was a, it was a mental skills role. Right. Um, I was roving around a lot of work with minor league guys. And then, uh, my second year did some stuff with the big league team as well. So, you know, we had, um, a couple other guys on staff who were, um, not former players, but, um, you know, had master's degrees in sports psych and, and similar fields. So they had kind of the science background and I had the playing background and, uh, you know, I had always tried, been trying to figure out, you know, what is it that goes on? Like when guys are performing well and they're in the zone versus where I was at for several years. And um, so I think, you know, that my interest in that, my experience led me to that job. Like how can, okay, I couldn't figure this out for myself, but how can I use my experience, <clears throat> use the things that, that actually did help me along the way um, to help other guys. And, uh, you know, if I come up with a, not necessarily a solution, but come up with some kind of, um, I guess like, uh, like a system that I can try to help guys, not necessarily with the gifts, just anything mental that goes on in the game. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, even the most successful guys that you'd never think struggled, you know, there's feelings of self doubt, there's anxiety, right? Um, all those things go on, even, even with, with big leaguers that are, you know, perennial all-stars. Um, so 
I knew there's something that was not being addressed because I wasn't able to, to find it. And I believe me, I sought a lot of answers mm-hmm. and, um, no, no, um, no knock on anybody that I worked with. Cause I know everybody was giving me everything they had and probably a lot of good things that have worked for other guys or will work for other guys, but they weren't working for me. Mm-hmm. And I felt like a lot of guys, a lot of the people I had worked with had kind of reached a dead end and said, well, you know, it's the yips, If it's a bad enough case. You just, you don't come back. Right. And, um, I wasn't satisfied with that. So even though my career had ended, I was like, man, I just got to keep on that journey to try to help address this thing that, you know, people have not fully been able to figure out. And during your time in Arizona, I mean, I, I take it that it never crossed your mind that you'd be ever pitching again. And your, your full focus was really on others at that point. It was. Yeah. Especially the, the first year and a half of the two years. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a point halfway through the second year and I was out there throwing with players. That was something I did, you know, pretty regularly. I'd bring in gloves, uh, out on the field and shag, shag, uh, BP and play catch with pitchers and things like that. I did hit a point <laughs> halfway through that second year I was playing catch and all the pitchers were like, dude, you still got it. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you don't know how bad it was. You don't know how bad it yeah. was. Like, and they're like, well, clearly you figured something out. And I was like, yeah, but this is just playing catch. This isn't, you know, on a, on a stage or on a mound with a hitter in the box, all those things. And they're like, well, how do you know? I'm like, you're right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, but I know I tried for five years and I had days where I felt great playing catch and he put me on a mound with a hitter and all those same feelings would come back. So, yeah. but it started to kind of get into my mind a little bit toward the end of, uh, I guess that's 2019. It probably um, feels like 10 years ago at this point. It does. It's just so much has happened right? Um, to me and the world. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I went into that job. Like I said, it was like, how can I take my experience, um, you know, having the experience I had pitching well in Boston and then the experience of the five years of, of completely losing it and trying to figure it out because, you know, it was a unique experience. It felt like I had, I know what it was like to be at the highest of highs in the game and, and then the lowest of lows too. Um, so I just want to take that experience and, turn it into something useful and I I truly enjoyed being around baseball players and in a clubhouse and I love that environment and I feel like I um, fit in better there than I do in most places in the world so it was kind of a natural transition to try to use that to to uh, you know find and find my new purpose in life. Mm -hmm. I guess as you entered the off season, was your expectation that you'd go back and be in the same role for Arizona this year? Oh yeah. hundred percent. You know, I went, I went in this past off season. I did say, okay, I throw in feels amazing. Hadn't felt this good playing catch in, in seven or eight years. Um, I'm going to keep throwing. I'm going to get my arm in good enough shape where I can actually get on a mound and not hurt myself. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> You know, I spent the next two months doing that, thrown into a net in my backyard. About like four days a week, I go back there and throw a couple buckets of balls. And uh, usually with my kids running around me and 
having to clear them out of the way and let them have their turn throw 10 in the middle so it's kind of chaos yeah pristine training conditions right there oh for sure we don't even have a flat spot in our yard so i'm throwing like (laughs) on a eight foot slope downhill Mm -hmm. um but you know it was enough to get my arm in shape to where uh I was able to get on a mound like in December, late December, I think, and uh, had a had a radar gun, uh, Rapsodo, all that stuff set up for me. Uh, my brother helped me out with that, and um, it was pretty good. Like it felt really good the first time. And you know, I had to do it again a couple weeks later to make sure it wasn't a fluke. And uh, so we did that, set it up, and it was even better. So. Um, it was kind of at that point where I was like, I know I got a decision to make, you know, we're mid January, my report date for my coaching job was in three or four weeks from that point. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't easy for sure to leave a like a sure thing. Yeah. You know, a, a paycheck, um, a steady job, a job that I enjoyed with an organization that I really loved. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention, you know, a wife and three kids that weren't there when I was yep. pitching before. Um, that adds a whole uh, set of complications too. So, um, yeah, it was a lot. It, it, I spent the next couple weeks kind of weighing everything. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, you got off the mound, and I, I remember seeing the tweet in spring training and seeing Daniel Bard's going after this again, and he's going to be throwing in front of scouts. And I thought back to everything you had said and thought, well, something must have really changed here. I mean, when you got in front of scouts and um, there was what, about 15 scouts there? Yeah, it was right around 15 to 20, I would say. Was was there a thought in your head that these yips are going to come back and this is really, you know, this isn't catch with the guys as a coach, you know, with, with the Diamondbacks. This is me trying to restart my career and trying to do this and maybe they're going to come back now or maybe they're going to come back as soon as I get into a spring game or could you tell at that point that maybe you were finally past it well you know I, I had thrown maybe eight or nine times off a mound going into my tryout mm-hmm. um, and it had gotten just better and better and better and not to say you know there'd be a pitch here that might get away but it was like a normal miss and right. I don't I don't judge how I feel based on like am I perfect? Mm-hmm. You know, cause even when I was pitching the eighth inning in Boston, I'd let a ball fly every once in a while. It's how do you respond to that? What's yeah. the next, what are the next two pitches look like? And not just what they look like, what do they feel like coming out, you know? And so that's kind of what I had gauged myself on up to that point and, and it had all been really good. So going into that, you know, to me, it was honestly like I'd already quit my job with the Diamondbacks, so I had essentially burned the ships. Mm-hmm. You know, there was nothing to go back to there. Uh, I had made the commitment to to do this and give it a shot, and I, I realized that you know I'm going to have however many teams show up. Um, if it goes great, you know, hopefully I'll get one one minor league offer. Mm-hmm. I mean, given my, my history, like I'm not, I'm not, you know, stupid. I know that not pitching for two, two and a half years and 
not pitching effectively for the six years before that. <laughs> it was an unusual career path. So yeah. like I knew indie ball, I had to be open to going to indie ball. Mm-hmm. I had to be open to a team giving me basically a two week spring training tryout, but I was willing to do that. Um, I was at that point and I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think my ability was there. So, and I also knew going into that tryout, I was like, <clears throat> this is probably the best test I'm going to face. Right. Even though I was on a high school field in Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, throwing in a bullpen, you know, there was 15 decision makers there with radar guns. And, uh, you know, that was the best test I would have for whether, you know, that feeling, that yippee feeling would come back or not. And, um, I knew if I sat there and overthought it, that it would probably feed into that happening. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had a good mental routine. This is some uh, kind of a system of things that I developed through. It was the same stuff I was teaching and helping guys um, the last two years before that. Just um, helping uh, define that uh, kind of pregame process mm-hmm. rather than just going out every time hoping things are good. So I used that. It was something I really hadn't used at any time before in my career. So um, using that, you know, I got in kind of once I got into my routine that I've been doing before all my appearances, all my bullpens this spring. Um, it was just like another another time throwing. And uh, I think perspective is a big thing too. You know, I, I went into it. <laughs> I remember laughing when I got on the mound. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I was like, man, this, this is ridiculous. I'm 34 years old, hadn't pitched in three years, and here I am standing on a high school mound thrown to a bunch of radar guns. Same thing I was doing at 18 years old trying to right. get drafted. Mm-hmm. Nothing changed. 16 years later, like I literally laughed out <laughs> loud on the mound before I threw the first pitch. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that kind of confirmed that like I'm doing this with the right – uh, intentions, the right mindset. Let's have some fun and see what happens, you know? And obviously that went well. I think, you know, I'm reading the Rockies were very interested from the beginning, get a big league camp invite. Um, was there a lot of interest? First of all, I'll ask, were the Red Sox involved in the process at all? And second of all, were you surprised and I guess pleased by the level of interest from a bunch of clubs? I was shocked by the level of interest, not because of how I, I threw the ball, yeah, I know. I know the way I was throwing the ball was worthy of you know getting signed. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I like I just said before, I think I was surprised given my history. But um, apparently, teams are either uh, quick to forget or you know willing <laughs> to overlook you know if if you're producing out. And I think that's the way it is. I think that's the way the game has moved. It's like they don't care what you did in the past. You know, if you can put up good track man numbers and, and go find a way to get out. It's like they'll sign you. So, yeah, so um, were the Red Sox involved at all? I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if they were there or not. Okay. I don't think they made an offer. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't remember them being involved. Um, that would have been some full circle stuff. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's honestly like a whole different group of people. So right. I would have considered it um, just because it's all different, different faces mm-hmm. over there. So, 
And once you got into spring training, and I think you pitched in three major league games with you know varying results, uh, how did that feel? And uh, I guess were you laughing at that point while you were on the mound facing major league hitters in major league camp? And and also just in general, did you feel as strong mentally and as strong physically as you had throughout the process, even at that next stage? Yeah, man, it, it was a lot of fun. Like it was, it all felt. It, and it took a while for it to feel like it was really happening in some ways. Yeah. You know, I was like, because yeah. you go through all the same emotions that like you go through as a rookie, but I'm not a rookie. I'm 34 years old. You know, <laughs> like you walk in, hadn't been in a big league clubhouse as a player, I guess. I haven't been there as a player in a while. So you're like, okay, you got to fit in, got to gotta meet all the guys, got to remember everybody's name and all this stuff. But it was like I was feeling those same feelings, but like without the like nervousness that, that would come with it if you're 22 years old. Yeah. Because I'm, I think just because I'm more confident where I am as a person, mm-hmm. just from life experience and having hit the low of lows in the game and the highs of highs off the field of you know having having three healthy kids and you know mo- basically having moved on from baseball as a player completely, I think gives you a lot of freedom um, to just go into any environment like that and just, okay, I don't have to be anyone. I'm not I'm just going to be me. And if it, if it works, it works, you know, <laughs> people yeah. like it, they like it. If not, who cares? Cause I'm okay with it. And um, that whole, I think that that mindset just gives, has given me a lot more freedom in this whole process. So, yeah, as far as on the mound, like first outing results were terrible. <laughs> it was like five runs, two <laughs> walks. There was a home run in there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I actually was going over that outing with one of our pitching coaches after it. And, uh, you know, everyone was like super excited that I just got into a game. Yeah. And But I'm over here being like, that's not good enough. Like I didn't come here mm-hmm. to just get into a game. Like I know that my stuff is pretty close to where it was back when I was in my prime and that that stuff right there doesn't fly. So I also looked at it though, that outing and said, Man, I actually threw the ball kind of the way I wanted to and the results just, just were terrible. And uh so going into my next couple outings, I just said I'm not gonna try to change a whole lot because of one rough uh statistical outing keep doing what i've been doing all spring and you know the next two went much better um and uh you know the feeling on the mound is just like just confidence in in what i'm doing and where the ball's going most of all um have a feel for off-speed pitches and fastball to both sides and it's man it's a lot of fun when when you can actually know what you're doing yeah, I saw this quote that you gave to Peter Gammon just to plug another uh, Tar Heel in baseball because we have to. Um, it gotcha. felt, he said, it felt different. I didn't feel traumatic. The trauma I experienced was past. There was no anxiety. Things had slowed down. I'd stand on the mound and feel fine. And most important, I'd feel the fun I felt uh, when I was young. Um, so I guess feeling all that and going through all these positive steps and feeling as good as you were back in a major league camp as a player, which I'm sure was strange as you talked about. And then 
having that kind of ripped away. Not that that was a unique case. Everybody had this season, at least so far, ripped away from them and, and as quickly as it shut down. Um, I guess what was that like from you, from your perspective, you know, not with a job locked up, not with this comeback locked up, but right in the middle of the process to have it halted. And then, you know, who knows if there's going to be a minor league, minor league baseball where you could pitch to get innings at this point, you know, who knows what camp's going to look like. Have you thought about how this might throw a wrench into your plans? Just, I guess, like it's thrown a wrench into pretty much everything in the world. Yeah. I mean, of course I've thought about it, but um, you know, I, I've kind of gotten to a point where, you know, this is this whole, it's a global thing and it's affected a lot of people a lot worse than I'm being affected by it. So mm -hmm. um, I'm just stuck at home with my three kids at all day, which is a blessing and a curse, right. mostly a blessing, but some of the days get a little long, mm -hmm. but uh, it's, you know, life's still, still pretty good over here. So, you know, I, I also try to view it as, you know, this, try to see opportunity in it, you know, for myself, basically I kind of rushed into this whole comeback thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I got myself ready in about a month and a half, maybe two months, um, physically. So this basically has given me two months to, to get my body and my, uh, just really hone my, my, you know, actual pitching skills, been able to get off the mound twice a week since I've been home. Um, so I've gotten in, I don't know how long we've been home, 15 extra bullpens mm -hmm. that I, w that I probably needed. Yeah. Um, you know, just because I don't have the yips doesn't mean everything's perfect. You know, they're still <laughs> polishing up and you know, what pitches am I going to throw? And, uh, you know, just, just making everything a lot more consistent. So, um, that, that's been honestly a huge opportunity and I've got a good place to work out here, um, catcher to throw to. So, um, I've been fortunate there and trying to use it to, to get myself ready, you know, if, and when we do have a season and, uh, you know, if by chance it's not 2020, then get ready for next year. I guess on that, um, you were a player rep with the Red Sox, right? Yeah, that's right. I think I think Bradford tweeted out uh, that the other day because he talked mm -hmm. to Matt Barnes and was was uh, trying to talk about how these are tough decisions. But as someone who knows how these things work, and and you're obviously in the game and have been for a while, and have a brother, and you have a family that you'd be having to leave. What is your take on everything that's that's come out in the last couple of weeks? Number one, just the the safety aspects. I had Colin McHugh on here a couple of weeks ago, and he said they can't make it mandatory for guys to play guys have underlying conditions or they have family members with underlying <laughs> conditions. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? And then also kind of the financial battle currently going on that we heard Blake Snell and a lot of other players came up strongly against over the weekend before. It's a, uh, it's a lot, man. I, yeah. I do think, you know, if we do happen, if we do get a season in uh, it's going to, look really different mm -hmm. you know um hopefully it's you know you're still got big league players out there and hopefully you know they find a way to make a short season you know as competitive as possible you know while keeping guys healthy but it's going to look different it's going to feel different as a player um life life could be pretty strange i think right. going about a, a season this year um 
not to say that I wouldn't do it. Um, I think, you know, given my situation, you know, I want to pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, then as far as, you know, the financial stuff, I mean, that's just something the, the union's got to work out. Um, you know, I've got kind of my, my ear to it trying to follow, but, um, you know, those are, those are bigger, bigger problems than I'm trying to solve right now. <laughs> um, yeah, that's obviously with the revenue sharing proposal. And it seems like there's a standoff going on. And my personal theory is that there's too much at stake to really lose a whole season over the squabble considering, uh, how, de- I mean, devastating that would be not just for the game, but a country that could probably really use baseball right now. Yeah. I mean, I personally for, you know, my situation, but also, like you said, I think for the country, I think it would be a good thing how that happens. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, so I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to speak out of, out of turn here. I'm not mm. a union, union rep anymore, um, <laughs> but I, I know that, you know, there are, there's a contingent of guys who do want to play, but there's also the guys who, who have their reservations and which I totally understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's gotta be a fit for, for all the parties. Um, or if not, you know, you, you take care of those guys accordingly. So, um, we'll see what happens. I, I'm anxious. I'm following it every day, probably just like you are. So before I let you go, this is a Red Sox podcast. We've talked about kind of stuff from after your Red Sox career. I think there is a lot. Um, and you know, I wasn't covering the team back then. And, and I think a lot of people have misconceptions about, how everything played out with your transition to a starter, whether that was, you know, I think there's the general thought that Bobby Valentine ruined Daniel Bard. Um, we talked before you said that that really wasn't the case and it was more of an organizational thing. Um, just, I want to give you the chance to kind of clear the air on that theory and that story. The, sorry, the story. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think it was, I think I've described it before. So it was a perfect storm of, of things that led to, uh, to me just not, not being able to pitch the way I did before. Um, mm-hmm. I think there was, there was some physical issues. I had that thoracic outlet going on. Right. Um, combine that with, um, you know, a whole new coaching staff, a new role, um, a demotion to, to the minors kind of all happened in a short, very short period of time. And then I'm trying to fix all this stuff uh, on the mound, you know, where, where, and I'm doing, trying to do it with a physical ailment that I'm not aware of, which is that, that thoracic outlet going on. So, um, makes for a pretty challenging situation and it led to some, you know, pretty rough outings along the way. And I think at some point in there, my brain just, just said, we're not going to do this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I think that's what happens when, when guys, go through the yips and in any form i think there's some kind of trauma that happens it can be a singular event or i think it could be something that happens over time um i can't pinpoint any day that 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 i started feeling that way um so i think it was just kind of a kind of a snowballing of events that that that, that led to it and uh definitely don't want to point fingers at any individual mm-hmm. at the end of the day you know it's nobody's it's nobody's fault. It's not even my fault. I don't think it's, I think it's just literally a thing that happens <laughs> in, in the brain and, uh, it's complicated. I don't, you could probably get a neurosurgeon to explain it better, but, um, mm-hmm. he obviously doesn't have the solutions either, or he'd be a lot more famous. 
<laughs> but um yeah i think it's just something that happens and you know just like any other part of the body uh, i think the brain heals with time if you if you give it the space it needs and i think that's what you know retiring for me um i was i think that's basically what happened you know i took took the pressure off of having to go out there every day and fix something and uh you know the focus was not on fixing me anymore i was just trying to help other guys do their thing and get on with life and uh i think that gave maybe my brain the space it needed to to heal so uh, and i think that goes for a lot of things not just mm-hmm. pitching issues but right. uh, all, all different kinds of trauma that people go through I, I'm. I don't think you can get in trouble for answering this question because it's been uh, eight years, and he's not even close to being in the organization anymore. But I would like to hear a firsthand look at at what it was like being there for what every beat colleague of mine would describe as the Bo- Bobby Valentine Circus in 2012. I think I've talked a lot about with people on the beat about how 2019 has been crazy. The Red Sox, you know, lose Cora and Dombrowski and the sign stealing investigation trade Mookie and everything. And I say, have you ever seen anything this crazy? And they say, well, we live through Bobby V. So just, just being there for that. I know obviously that was a, a tough season for you, but um, how stark was the change from Tito to him and, and how much of a culture shock was it within the clubhouse? Uh, it was big because <laughs> we, we only knew him, you know, as a, as a, uh, you know, I think he did baseball tonight right. before, before we hired him. And, you know, I think people had, he was a controversial character even on that show, mm-hmm. which is hard to do. Um, <laughs> and then we found out he was our new coach. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't a great initial response, but I do remember having like a players only meeting, you know, early in spring training, um, and I think something along the lines is like, look, this isn't the guy we would have picked, but like, he, it is what it is. He's mm-hmm. our guy. Let's uh, let's go into it with open minds, and uh, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe yeah. it's just a little bit crazy on TV, but he's like, you know, maybe it's different once you get to know him and you play for him. And uh, didn't quite turn out <laughs> that way. <laughs> But I do think I do think everybody went in with an open mind. Mm-hmm. And I think some things, um, a couple of events transpired, like two or three weeks into spring training. That mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think Pedroia was involved in something. And you know, once Pedroia turns on you, yeah, you know, especially those teams though, he's in his prime. Like, right. A lot of the team followed. So. And then there's the was, obviously uh, the the famous Eucalyptus incident. Um, where I think Pedroia said maybe that's how it works in Japan, but that's not how we do things here. I think that yeah, was remember, that was the moment where quote, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I just I remember a lot of things trying to him trying to reinvent the wheel with uh, you know, eighteen different bunt plays. Which with Tito, <laughs> I think we had one bunt play. Yeah, it was getting out at first. Um, and we're doing like variations on the wheel play, which. You know, I hadn't done since college, um, <laughs> so it, it was that it was that aspect, kind of the overcoaching. Basically, just I think he had it, wanted to have his hand in everything. Um, right. Whether that was, you know, a pitcher trying to learn a new pitch, he wanted to be in the conversation. You know, whether it was, you know, 
just, I guess, micromanaging, I guess would be the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. uh, Not, not in a, not in a very personal way um, where he got to know you and he felt like he cared about you. And that's why he's involved. It was just like, he just wanted to be involved so that he could have his, his name on it. So I didn't have any, I guess, face-to-face negative run-ins with mm-hmm. him overall it was not a great experience obviously, <laughs> obviously yeah but but i think the rec at the end of the day the 65 wins or whatever we mm-hmm. had at the end of the year that's the best reflection on how the year went and it <clears throat> it wasn't any better uh behind closed doors either right and the last question before you go a little bit you know off topic we just talked about dustin Bedroy a little bit what he's gone through in the last two or three years with the knee and the comebacks. I mean, it's obviously a different type of injury, um, a different type of struggle, but it's the same type of, you know, toiling trying to get back to where he once was. And um, for him, obviously it was a sustained period of success for, for a decade in Boston. Um, But as he's talked about, this is something that's been tough mentally, you know, to have setback after setback. So, um, you're obviously a guy who played with him. Have you been in contact with him and, and tried to help him with the mental side of that over the last couple of years? Unfortunately, I haven't. Um, I, we didn't stay in touch after we got done playing. Uh, mm-hmm. Always got along great with Petey. We just, I guess, yeah. never got that close off the field. Mm-hmm. Our wives actually have stayed in touch a little bit. But um, mm-hmm. no, I mean, I, I watch from afar and definitely feel for him, man. Like, if anything... You know, doing the the job I did with the Diamondbacks and trying to help some guys who were going through physical injuries, um, I definitely saw the similarities, man, between like the mental grind of just yeah. not being able to do your job. Uh, and then that's really the same thing with a guy who's got like a chronic shoulder or knee or something mm-hmm. like that. It's just like they keep thinking, okay, I feel good, I feel good, and then it collapses again. And it's the same feeling of like that mental letdown of I put in all this time, all this work, things were going well, and then the rug gets pulled out from under you again. Um, really similar feelings, um, really similar experience, I think. So, mm-hmm. no, I haven't had a chance to talk with him. Um, PD, if you hear this, I'll chat <laughs> with you. Not that I can help, but at least we can, you know, relate a little bit. But And um, catch up. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you coming on. That's Daniel Bard of the Rockies. It's kind of weird saying that. I'm sure it's weird for you to hear it um, after, you know, this whole journey. And and I will say that uh, if you do make it all the way back and you're dominant in the majors, uh, which I hope you are, because um, I think everybody who covered you and and even me and my limited interactions with you are rooting for you. That is going to be a story that is going to be turned into a movie. Um, So uh best of luck with that thank you for coming on and stay safe during all this craziness i appreciate it chris thank you